Welcome to Stories of Recovery, a MAR Recovery Resources production from MAR Addiction Treatment Center. I'm Matt Shedd. Allison Broderick and Matt Irwin are both in long-term recovery, and they work together at MAR. Allison is the alumni coordinator, and Matt is a longtime counselor and now business development representative at MAR. Long before they were co-workers, though, Matt was Allison's DUI course instructor. At the time, Allison didn't think she was an alcoholic, but she was intrigued by the course material and stayed in touch with Matt after the class was over. She would reach out to Matt as she continued to have questions about her drinking and as she started to see things more clearly. They discussed the journey Allison took to accepting her powerlessness over alcohol and the freedom that she found when she finally accepted that. They also discussed the work that Allison does at MAR with our alumni to help them stay connected with the MAR community and connected with recovery. Can you guys introduce yourselves? Oh, yeah. So I'm Allison Broderick, and I am the alumni coordinator here at MAR. My name is Matt Irwin. I'm a business development representative. And longtime counselor. And, and a longtime counselor. And, and alumni, may I say that? And oh, alumni. Yeah. And alumni. And also, you teach... Uh, a really good DUI <laughs> class. <laughs> you, teach a, you teach a great DUI class. And do evaluations. and So you know what? I want to say something else, and you can use this or you can not use it. I probably will. I just want to say um, I, I'm just honored to be with you, Allison. I really am. Like, like your process and going through all of the things and all of the questions you had, and, you, and I'm so honored you included me all the way. And even after you were sober for a year, you just didn't think you were satisfied in your job. And you um, you said, I think I want to do something higher. I want to work at a nonprofit. I want to do something that matters. And I took your resume to Gary, and I don't even know if you know this or not. And I said, I'm not sure if we are hiring people or if we're not hiring people, but you need to talk to this woman face-to-face before you decide not to hire her. Oh. And now when you came, I was sort of hoping that you would stay. And I know that you went and you did something else for a while. And that's even all the better because now you're back home and I hope you don't leave again. Oh, <laughs> You better not leave again. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was great. Yeah, that's it's awesome. So yeah. It's true. Oh, it was right here. So, well, I wanted to hear about how you guys like the, the story. How you got her into Mar? If you're oh, if you're up for that, yeah. Let's yeah, let's go back there to how you guys first started interacting. Well, uh, so Matt was my DUI teacher, right? Yes. DUI course, yes. yeah. So um, it was really the first time I had ever even been introduced to a sober way of life, mm-hmm. um, and I thought that. You were a great teacher, Matt. Thank you very much. Yes. I, I did it a lot myself, so I know how to teach. <laughs> you had a lot of research. Yeah, a lot of DUI research. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but I was, you know, of course, scared. And um, and I'm more of that. I'm not type A personality, but I'm more of, okay, let's just get this over with. So I made sure I had all my community hours before they were even, you know, before I knew how mm-hmm. many I needed. And then... I, I had gotten the DUI or gotten 
arrested the weekend prior, and that next weekend I was in his class. So I thought if I just check all of the boxes, Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, A, I'm not going to get in as much trouble, and B, I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah, (laughs) I gotcha. So what... Had you been in trouble before that point? I now I had gotten. I don't know if you know this, Matt, but I had gotten a PUI. What's that? Pedestrian under the influence. Oh, that is somewhat unique. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I, that's I got to give you some credit. For that. I, <laughs> I know a BUI, boating under the influence, <laughs> but not a pedestrian under the wow, influence. Wow. Yeah. That was me. So yeah. were you like singing, walking home from the bar, or something? Um. It was Halloween night. Uh, this is, gosh, I was probably 20 years old at this mm-hmm. point. And by the time I met Matt, I was 28, 29 years old. Okay. So uh, it was Halloween night. We were in Gwinnett County uh, at a party, myself and my boyfriend. And um, he got pulled over and I got a little mouthy. Yeah, called the... Um, Police officers, a few not very nice. Things. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. So, and then so the time with Matt was like eight years later, nine years later. You got a DUI, or I got pulled over, okay. right? And and so this is actually really important, or an important part of my story because um, when I got pulled over, I was in a blackout, mm-hmm. and um, I vaguely remember. My friend who was with me um, advising me not to take the breathalyzer. And so I didn't do that um, because I was scared. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had no clue what, what would show up. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I ended up later down the road after I took Matt's DUI course and, and did everything I needed to, it ended up. Um, coming down to reckless driving because of some technicalities. But the important part of that is that it fed my ego. uh, In what way? What do you mean? Because, you know, I thought, I just thought I'm more powerful than I really was. Like, I look at me, I can, yeah, I can totally beat the system. I can smile my way through this. Uh Um, you know, I, I know how to, I guess, kind of play the system. And yeah. so really what I see today after being in recovery is that it kept me sick. Mm-hmm. And so that's the important part, mm-hmm. you know, because it it was like, well, I'm, I'm better than, you know, a DUI. I'm better than the stigma of alcoholism mm-hmm. um, and... I remember the life-changing, truly life-changing part of Matt's weekend DUI course. He said um, to the class, he said, one in four of you will return to this class. And for whatever reason, it was that statistic that really scared me. Mm -hmm. And I knew, I mean, Matt's class was great, but I didn't want to return to it, you know? (laughs) This, not that good. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is good. This is I, this is a whole another avenue that I wasn't like uh, expecting to think because I don't think we've really talked about that before on the podcast, like DUIs, and, and that's probably a big wake up call. I mean, people mention it in passing, but like having to 
go through that whole course. So can you tell people a little bit about what you do and your other? Yeah, the, the, the DUI school is interesting. Um, I have no way to, you know, know these statistics are spot on. This is not research-based. It's strictly from my experience. But, you know, I probably had a few thousand people in classes because I did it for seven or eight years. But there's a percentage of people that are in DUI class that are what I would call alcoholics or inactive addiction. And there's another percentage of folks that probably have a problem with alcohol or a substance, but I wouldn't say they've crossed a line into addiction. And then there's a percentage of people that just made a horrible mistake, an error in judgment. And I think the the people that made a horrible mistake or er, error in judgment are the huge majority of the class. Mm-hmm. Um, I could typically divide up the class into halves the first mm-hmm. 10 or 15 minutes because I would tell a couple of jokes that only an alcoholic would laugh at. <laughs> and all the people who made a mistake would look at me like, that joke's not funny. <laughs> That's amazing. Say, like, well, of course it's not. That You just need to finish out the class and everything's okay. Yeah, you right. No problem again. But the people that laugh and the people that laugh the hardest, it's like I need to pay, you know, I'm going to pay a little more attention to them because, you know, they, they've ex- you have to have had experience the joke to think it's funny. Right. Um, yeah, I got to ask, do you, do you n- remember those? Oh, yeah. I remember those jokes. The The one the one joke is a, a guy, an alcoholic, gets stranded on a deserted island, and um, he thinks his, he thinks his, nobody appreciates him, his family doesn't like him, so he gets mad and goes sailing one day, and he gets shipwrecked on this <laughs> deserted island, and he's walking along the beach, and he falls down over a genie bottle. That's what they're called, right? A genie bottle? Yeah, the, genie, the, yeah. genie. Genie yeah, bottle. Yeah. And uh, the genie comes out and says, you have three wishes. And he says, oh, my gosh, now I'm hallucinating. This just can't get any worse. And he said, well, give me a million dollars. And she nods her head, and a million dollars is on a stacked pallet next to him. Uh-huh. And he looks down and goes, that was not very smart. I'm stranded on a deserted island. I don't need money. And he goes, well, I'll go along with hallucination. Give me a bottle of Jack Daniels that never empties. And she nods her head and then the, looks out in his right arm and then his hand is a fifth of Jack Daniels, and he goes, my God, this is cruel. But he takes a drink of it, and the bottle fills back up. And he takes another drink, and the bottle fills back up, and he starts to feel it in his fingertips, you know, and he goes, this is not an hallucination. This is real. And he just chugs half the bottle, and it fills right back up to the top. And she said, what would you like for your final wish? And he said, I'll take another one of these. <laughs> And normal people are like, I don't, why would, he, <laughs> why would oh he want God. two of those? Amazing. Why do you have to have two bottles that never empty? But the alcoholics would laugh. So kind of a corny joke, but that was uh-huh. the, that was the one. Um, so what's interesting about Allison, because these things aren't absolute, right? Mm-hmm. And another telltale sign in, in DUI school typically is the people who are asking a lot of questions and the people who are eager to get to the bottom of it, you know, what's going on, mm-hmm. usually don't have a problem. Yeah. Alcoholism is one of those weird things where if you're really afraid you have it and okay. you're trying to figure out if you have it, a lot of times you don't. Okay. But if you're pretty sure you're not, then you probably are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's not always that way, but Allison asked, I remember her asking a lot of questions and she participated and that's just not typically one of the people I would have put into the half of the class that, 
either does or may have a problem. But um, I think I laughed at your jokes. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> um, so the idea of the class, the idea of the DUI class, and it's and it's a it's an incredible program. Um, um, is is persuasion to get people to take a look at themselves. Mm-hmm. And the idea is not to not to necessarily create change. It's to get someone to take a hard look at themselves. And, yeah. And uh, um, uh, Prime for Life is the program uh, organization in Lexington, Kentucky does it. And it's very well done. And um, if someone can be a little bit open-minded, it may not be immediate, but they can get to where they need to get. And Allison is like the greatest example of that. Mm. I mean, it was a process for her, but um, and I'm grateful she included me in the process along the way. Even after she left, I... Uh, I'll let her talk about this, but I always tell people at the end, if you ever want to come back to one of my other classes and you let me know, I'll let you come back and you can talk to one of the classes about your experience and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be you're an alcoholic and you quit drinking. If you just want to talk about something you learned, um, because classes had always typically told me the speaker was at the end of class, they do, a uh, an evaluation and, and, and almost always when someone else comes in and talks, that's their favorite part of the class. Mm-hmm. Now, that tells you something about me. Like, no matter who I brought in, they, that was their favorite part of the class because it's 20 hours long. So that means they had 19 oh, wow. hours of me and one hour of a, another person. But Allison, you know, she'll tell us about that. But Allison agreed to do that pretty shortly after. I think it was maybe a month. Maybe, was or, it even? Or it might have been the following weekend. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and she came back and she told it. She told people how successful she was. Oh, gosh, yeah. Not one of my finer moments. I see in my perception of this, Allison and I have talked about this, my perception of this is completely different than hers because I thought she was in, I thought she was just in the process of figuring things out and I thought she did an excellent job. Mm -hmm. She looks at it differently. Yeah. So tell us your, so what happened? You you finished his course. So the the course was a Saturday and Sunday. And Monday night. And Monday night. Okay. Um, and I really did. It it truly was life changing. Like mm-hmm. it was the first time I had really taken that deep look. Um, and it was like, okay, I'm gonna. Well, I think for myself and many of us, we're all or nothing yeah. types of people. Like even two Jack Daniels bottles that never <laughs> <laughs> empty not is enough. not enough. <laughs> so um, so you know it was. It was the first time I took that hard look at, at my drinking, uh-huh. and uh, Matt's a great teacher. Mm-hmm. And so I did want to give back. So at least that service mm-hmm. piece, I think, I didn't know at the time that that was part of recovery, but um, it definitely felt good to to come back and be of service. But the reason why I wince at it mm-hmm. is because... I was in so much denial. Oh. And uh it, Matt remembers a certain thing that I I said. One of the one of the things from the class is it encourages it encourages folks uh it, it, it encourages you if you if you feel like you're an alcoholic you need to stop drinking. But if you're not, it says try to limit your drinking to one drink per hour, never more than two daily. And and the absolute maximum amount on any occasion is three. So they call it one, two, three. And Allison talked to the people about 
how good the class was and that she was doing one, two, three, and that was her goal for the rest of her life. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and she was, and she did a good job. <laughs> I was like, did you believe it? Well, I was like, you, you sold me on it. <laughs> most of the people who had chosen to come back and talk were people that actually had gotten into recovery, you know, and they come yeah. back a month or two later. But I don't remember anyone ever coming back and saying, I'm drinking successfully. But I had no reason to believe you weren't. I mm-hmm. mean, I, did, I didn't for a minute think, well, you know, she's this is worse than she says it is. I was grateful. I was thinking more the, that people would be helped by what you said. And I know your experience was different, but it didn't come across as ego or anything like that when you did it. And, and you know what? I may have really tried to control and maybe I succeeded for that month or, mm-hmm. you know, a few weeks thereafter. Um, but, you know, fast forwarding into when it got really bad, um, I think that was about a year later after I had met Matt and, mm-hmm. and Matt was the first sober person I had ever met. I mm-hmm. mean, I, you know, grew up with parents that, um, really didn't drink much, mm-hmm. Uh, but the first person who was willingly sober yeah, and it was like an anomaly, like, wow. I just realized we have, I just realized we have three Matt's and an Allison in this. We have Matt, the podcast master, Matt, <laughs> the DUI teacher, and Matt, your husband. My husband. Oh. This is going to take some clarity for the people listening. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a lot of mats. Yeah. (laughs) Makes it easy for me. Yeah, right. (laughs) You'll have to remember one name. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, But, yeah, so a a year later is uh, after I had met Matt, things got really bad. And um, I do remember reaching out to Matt over uh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. This is Matt Irwin I reached out to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I did reach out to Matt, my husband, and Facebook is really the reason why we're married. So oh. yeah, it does get confusing. But um, I reached out to to Matt and I <laughs> had asked him over uh, Facebook private message, hey, do you know of any books on how to control your drinking? <laughs> wow. And that son of a gun never <laughs> responded. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember getting that? That I, I don't remember that specific message. I remember the ones that came after. We talked about this the other day. I don't remember that one, but I mean, I think if, I probably was thinking, well, do I like? I don't know of any. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's sort of like if you're searching for a book on how to control your drinking, you probably just need to skip over that book and yeah, go straight yeah, to this yeah, one. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a quit. big blue book. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> People that can control their drinking don't need books on it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well put. Yeah. Um, and and so, uh, yeah, now that I'm in recovery, I, I see it. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I know that Matt is not the reason I'm sober. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's by God's grace, truly. However, you are a big reason why. And and that's uh, the importance of planting seeds, yeah. you know? You yeah. never know when it's going to um, blossom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and I imagine people, imagine someone listening to this who maybe just got in trouble, got a DUI, or maybe their kid did, you know, or something like that. 
how did you, can you talk about that? How you kind of came to clarity about, oh, maybe this is, maybe I am an alcoholic. Like, how do you know? Like, how yeah. do you separate when Matt talked about the the sheep and the goats, the, <laughs> the people that are just made a bad decision versus people who are chronic alcoholics? How, yeah. How do you... Um, you know, I finally had that surrender moment, my first surrender moment. Um, so my husband, Matt, is... Um, a firefighter. And so he's on duty for 24 hours every third day. And so every third day, we were, we were newly married at the time. Um, every third day and night, um, that's when I would really drink. And he would come home that following morning and he would see signs of, you know, maybe I was in a blackout. One morning he came home and I had passed out with excuse me, hash browns on the broiler. And I had passed out in the the next room. And um, so he comes home at like 7 a.m. And the entire house is filled with smoke. And those were not only moments of awakening for him, because at the time, you know, we're seven months married, but it was a huge... Uh, scare factor for me. And so finally, we we had that, that last argument um, about my drinking. And he said something to me that I'll never forget. And at the time, his son was uh, five, and my son was seven. And he said, um, I don't want my son to grow up in this kind of home. And when he told me that, I had that moment of clarity, like, well, what am I doing to my own son? You know, because we're a second marriage. And um, and it was a Sunday morning. I'm hungover. Uh, I'm still drunk, you know. And where do you go on a Sunday morning? You go to church, <laughs> like yeah. a good Southern girl, you know. So I'm in church, and it's just me and I. I I could smell myself just oozing out, you know, alcohol. And uh, I was in the balcony alone, isolated, and it was just this very clear um, voice as we're singing hymns, and, and that voice had to have been God's voice. And, and he said, you don't have to live like this. Mm-hmm. And that, again, was, was the moment of surrender. Mm. So, um, and you had already been through Matt's class. Yes. At that point. So you had all that stuff kind of, I had the knowledge. Yeah. What do they say? It's a head full of knowledge and a belly full of beer. Yeah. Yeah. But at least the seed had been planted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also say, I always say in my story that it was, um, it was also my husband who was very firm in his own boundaries and was not codependent. And it truly was, for lack of a better word, an ultimatum. He had his own crossroads. And it was, you know, I really love this woman and we just got married. But I also love myself and I love my son. So it was uh, it was pretty powerful. I went to a 12-step meeting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I stayed sober for about 40 days. Didn't get a sponsor. Um, 
I was still, I was a very eager. I had my notebook. I had my pen. I was taking notes just like I was in Matt's class, you know, thinking, okay, I can learn this. Um, and I remember thinking, and I asked somebody, I said, well, I could do steps two through 12, but do I have to, I can't do one because I just didn't think I was powerless. Like life had become unmanageable, but I couldn't wrap my brain around powerlessness over alcohol. And, uh, and it took, you know, a relapse after that at a wedding, um, where I still didn't think I was an alcoholic because I had had those tiny little glasses of, of wine mm-hmm. and I had two. You want to finish a story? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know where that, I didn't know if that was before the, before the ultimatum or after it. Yeah. Allison called me. Um, after the ultimatum? No, after the wedding. Oh. And they were on the way home and, um, and she called me and she said, oh my goodness, I just want to tell you what I did. And I think we had had some communication and I was like, okay. And it was obviously something good. And she goes, we went to this wedding. Matt's with me now. And we just left. And Matt, um, Matt the husband. Matt the husband. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I had two glasses of wine and that's all I had. Just like you talk about in your class, like alcoholics can't drink two and, and stop. So I drink two and stop. So I'm just so grateful. And, um, and I affirmed her and I said, well, you know, that's good. But I said, also, people that aren't alcoholics wouldn't call somebody <laughs> on the telephone when they're with I'm their husband on the way home from the wedding <laughs> saying, I'm not an alcoholic and here's why. And I think she got it. Uh-huh. And I think that probably helped Matt's um, because I think I even asked you, I'm like, well, what's Matt's reaction? And you, Matt, the husband. Yeah. And you were like, oh, he's, you know, he's right here and it's got. It, I'm sure he's thinking, I don't know what he's thinking, but I'm guessing he's thinking she's calling somebody to celebrate while drinking two glasses of Because he's not one of he's not one of me. You know, yeah. he's he's what we call a normie. Yeah. Yeah. And and it truly was that but, moment I needed. Yeah. But still, like my view on that is like for Allison, um, like you called it denial. And, and and it is, and I get it, but still, it's like I call that staying in the game. Like you just yeah. kept looking at stuff. Yeah, you kept giving yourself an opportunity. Like mm-hmm. like to me, true denial would have been keeping that to yourself and not even telling somebody. It's almost like you. It's almost like subconsciously you wanted someone to tell you the truth because yeah, you knew. yeah, and you kept yourself in the game and. You know, when you talked about Matt just a minute ago about him doing the ultimatum, but also loving you, that's the thing that I think is so difficult for families. It's like, it seems like it needs to be either or, like you move on from the relationship and and you say, okay, or you just accept the alcoholism, but it's possible not to do either of those things and say, I love you and I want to be with you and, 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 or for a parent or, or it's, it's possible to set a boundary and love. And I think that's one of the that's one of the things that's just the hardest for the families to find the balance of I'm here and I'm with you, but also your behavior is unacceptable and I, I can't tolerate the behavior anymore. It's almost like separating the behavior out from the person. It's in unless your behavior changes, yeah. I'm going to have to do something different and I'd rather not. Um, that's so true. And yeah. and he made that very clear. Um, you just reminded me. It was um, – you know, he said, and and my 
husband, Matt, is, is a recovering Catholic. That <laughs> 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 um, he, I remember, you know, he said, love the sinner, hate the sin, um, or, the, you know, the disease, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. And, and he made it very clear that it was out of love. Mm-hmm. But I needed to know that I was... I was about to lose some very precious people in my life, possibly even custody of my my son. Um, I needed to know that. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. It's, it's so difficult for family members to follow through with that. But when I was faced with, I was already feeling isolated and so lonely. And then to know that this... Um, this addiction was spiraling so fast and and so far down that I was going to be completely alone scared me enough mm-hmm. to get in to the rooms. Yeah. Was that do you so you remember that moment when he told you that on the phone? Uh yes, what, I do. What went on for you physically, emotionally? Like what was that moment so, like? My husband Matt was actually not in the car. Oh, I called okay. so the wedding was on a Saturday night mm. and I called Matt on Monday morning. It was like I was probably bright and early, like, yeah. guess what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> Just wanted to let you know. Yeah. And and yeah. so and he said what he said and what, what was said, your reaction? He said, Okay, if you had thirty days to control your drinking the way you did this weekend at the wedding. Could you? And I had to really think about that because what happened at the wedding, it wasn't about the amount of alcohol consumed. It was about the thinking Mm. that began immediately from taking that first sip, uh, thinking, should I go into the bathroom and have more? Uh, can anyone tell that I've been drinking? Do I sound buzzed? Do I smell buzzed? You know, it was all these thoughts. Let me ask you this, Allison. Um, I may be, this may not be the way it happened, but didn't you ask Matt? I think before you drank, you may have said, if if I only have two, can I drink? And I think he's like, I, that's yeah. your, like, yeah, that's what. I mean, he supported to, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought yeah. you, because. I got buy-in from my husband, but again, he doesn't know anything about, well, of course he knows about alcoholism. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a firefighter. He goes on those calls. His thought probably was, like most people that don't know, is that it's not that I don't want you to not drink. I just don't want you to drink like this. Yeah, so yeah. Right. two drinks is perfectly okay. That's right. what normal people do, but, but I don't want you to drink too much. Right, and to him, not not – having the disease of addiction, that's probably easy to have. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like just, just don't. Yeah. Just don't. Mm-hmm. Well, I, there's no such thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it really got, got me to thinking about the thoughts that circled in my head and well, really just swarmed in my head once I had that first drink. And when I got off the phone with Matt Irwin that morning, Monday, um, it really was that final, like, down on my knees, I'm an alcoholic. Mm. And I said it out loud. I was, uh, you know, I was driving, actually. And so I said it out loud. And I have never felt so much 
overwhelming peace. It gives me chills. Like it, it's, it brings tears to my eyes because it was as if God said, thanks, Allison, I've got it from here. You mm-hmm. know, like he, he took the reins. Um, and, and so it was just such an important part of the story. One of the things I like about your story is from the outside, it may not have been noticeable stuff to other people. I mean, sure, Matt knew and the people that are close to you, but you had custody of your son. You were going to work. You know, you had just gotten married. You know, it, you, you guys, you had your home. I mean, for sometimes what people think about with a stereotype or have they had enough, it would be like, well, no, look at all these things that these things that she still has, but yours and the way you describe it was very much an emotional um, feeling bottom, which is every bit as painful as someone having the physical stuff taken away. But sometimes people on the outside can't see it that way. And I think that's one of the huge stumbling blocks for everyone, especially women. It's Mm. they look and it's like, why? Like I look at my life, I have these things so I, I just need to try harder to stop, meaning the powerless part. Yeah. It's harder to accept the Like, there must be something wrong with me if I have, you know, my husband's a firefighter and he's at work and he trusts me. We have, you know, we're, we have all these things going our way and, and all I need to do is not drink like this. Yet here I am drinking like this. And that's a harder, that's a harder um, hump to get over. And I think that people that do it like you do it, 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 for me, I have a more respect for that than than losing everything. Like if you had lost the marriage and if you had, mm. you know, had to move out, if you had lost your job, lost custody of your son, like the lower you go, the easier it is. The people that are able to recognize, like you accept your powerlessness every bit as much as I do. Yeah. And I had a lot of, uh, I did, I am the stereotype. But you, I'm not more powerless than you. You just recognized it. I think that's more. I, I just have more respect for that. Yeah. Because you have to really look inward. Whereas I was always looking out, and not me, not me. He's not as bad as that guy. Yeah. So I think that's a really big deal. And then your last drink wasn't even a drunk. Your last drink was two drinks trying to control it at a wedding. I that's know. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome though, Darn because, it. because you realize you realize it's the thinking. Like yeah, those two, yeah. You got powerless on two drinks because you were powerless. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's pretty that's pretty amazing. And that's really important for you to to bring that up because a lot of times, like I'll I'll have family members ask me, and I'm sure you, Matt, that. Um, you know, what does it mean to be an alcoholic? Like, how many do you have to drink mm. in order to be considered an alcoholic? And, you know, uh, my answer, at least, is it centers in the thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for a lot of individuals, including the person who is struggling him or herself, to understand that. But um, it, it is. It's in the thinking normal, quote unquote, normal drinkers don't think the way I think around alcohol. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, I like how you, well, Matt, Matt and I have kind of been talking about this a lot because I sat in on one of his groups, um, and, uh, talking about the first step exercise and like, 
getting intimate with those painful memories. And that's what came to mind when you were talking about like the details of your husband coming home, the hash browns and like, you know, that smoke was filling the Mm -hmm. house. Like that, that's part of the work that Matt and the other counselors do with people here is help them kind of, because it's so much of that stuff's easy to gloss over or to forget. Forget. Yeah. Yeah. To get into the sharp, you know, kind of painful, raw, raw yeah. details of that because it's like when you can kind of play that in like a movie, right? It's the es- I think it's the essence of recovery, Matt. I do like you like let's say for instance you and Matt, Allison, you guys go to dinner or you go to a movie or something and you know the logic is like hey, this was years ago when these things happened and we've moved past that and 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 you have moved past it. But for you to be able to say, when I'm doing, when I'm in control and when I'm doing my best, my husband comes home and I'm passed out on the couch. Yeah. And there's, and there's no sadness in that. There's power in that because it's like, but when I do it a different way and I realize I can't, I can't do anything about my alcoholism except surrender. And then I get to be in the moment. Like I get to. Right. Be whatever we're doing right now. And you, Matt's not going to understand it because he doesn't have it, but you get to be with him. And that's what my experience, I mean, I, I go back to those, I go back to my worst moments and I just go back to him and say, man, look at what it was and look at where I am. Yeah. And all I really had to do is give up. Now I had to turn yellow to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and you just had to have two glasses of wine and be proud at a wedding, but it's the same thing. And I think I think that's the hardest thing for people who don't have alcoholism and addiction to think about because it just seems like, man, you haven't had to drink in this many years, you know, move past those moments. It's like, yeah, I don't want to relive them. And I certainly don't want the people that were involved and are hurt to have to relive them or think about them. But for me personally, thinking about those things and going there emotionally and then being in gratitude that it's mm. not like that anymore, it's extremely important. Yeah. It's yeah. not something I, it's it's kind of like it's not something I want to completely leave. I hope I never forget those things. Me too. Even even the way the house smelled that morning. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to forget that. Oh, yeah. Um not that I'm I'm here to wallow in shame. Sure. You know, I'm past that. Um but I I want to remember the the disappointment in my husband's face. Sure. You know, I yeah. can't forget that. Well, the she cued you up for your other your other line about shame and powerlessness. Oh yeah, it's hard to be ashamed and powerless at the same time. Can you say more really about hard. that too? It's yeah. it's I I know that I know this sometimes strikes people the wrong way, but if if I can truly accept my powerlessness, if I can truly accept it a hundred percent in my alcoholism and my addiction, it, it's hard to feel shame. Yeah, but. The other side, and and the other side is, I have to accept responsibility for all of those things I did because I did them mm-hmm. in the disease or not in a disease. I have to clean it up and take responsibility for it. But it's much, it's a much better way of doing things when I know why I did it. I didn't do it because I wanted to. Didn't do it because I was a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I hurt some folks and disappointed some people. Yeah, and doesn't have to be that way anymore. Right. As long as I don't do it my yeah. way. And it's like it's like just a reality that I accept about yeah. like I I'm powerless over this substance. Yeah. So this is what that leads to, but I don't have to 
be ashamed about it, beat myself up. I over. love that because for me, I relate to that as, you know, when I'm feeling ashamed, it's so much different than guilt. Guilt says, you know, that I've, I've done something wrong that, that I need to correct, but mm-hmm. shame is I am wrong. Yes. Yeah. And, and so for me, shame is all about me, 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 mm. you know, and, but powerlessness, there's so much freedom. And as you said, Matt, there's so much power mm. once I admit the powerlessness. And that's what I love about 12 step programs is that there's, there are these beautiful paradoxes, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, you have to give it away to keep it. You have to, um, to die to live, you know, mm-hmm. all of that. And, and so I think of powerlessness today as freedom. And even more than yeah. that, that yes, I, I came to uh, recovery, you know, as a very broken individual. Today, I'm no longer broken. And I'm not just Allison, an alcoholic. I'm Allison, an alcoholic in recovery, mm-hmm. and it's such a big difference. Yeah, you know, it's a, well. I wanted to tie it into what you said, Matt, about um, staying in the game, um, and and your new your role here at Mar as alumni coordinator, um, because <clears throat> that's something I've been kind of thinking a lot a lot about and talking to people about, like that this isn't. I heard a. I heard someone say this, that it's not about being correct. It's about staying connected, you know? So like, it's not about being right or wrong or like doing all the right things. But if I'm, if I'm connected with other people, then that'll, all that stuff will kind of work its way, work itself. And that's kind of what I heard you saying about, about Allison. It was like, she maybe didn't quite see the picture very clearly, but you were talking to him about it and then he kind of helped you see it. So anyways, Mm. all that to say, We've got this great alumni program here at Mar that helps people stay connected. Right. And tell us a little bit about your your history with Mar and your role. Yeah. So I um, recently came back to Mar um, as the alumni coordinator, uh, but I was the alumni coordinator back in 2012 until 2015. So. Um, my sobriety date is April 11, 2011, and um, and then right about a year later uh, is when I met with Gary Dyes, who was the CEO at the time of Mar, uh, because I knew Matt Irwin, and I, you know, I had this big pink cloud, and and recovery was so wonderful, and of course I wanted to like help people or change people, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, you know, I, I worked here for those three years and there's just something special here. There really is. And I, I know that so many people say that, but we say it with real meaning. There's a, it's a family here. It's a home, you know? And so when I came back in December of 2019 as the alumni coordinator, um, I had mentioned to several of the staff members, who are still here, you know, they, they're mm-hmm. still here. And I said, it's as though some things have changed and yet nothing has changed. And, um, and one of my team members said, well, that means you're home. Mm-hmm. And I love That's that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. David Tate. I love that. Oh, David Tate. Oh, 
I mean, of course, things change and, and, you know, it's part of life, but to, to know that you're accepted, Mm -hmm. you're loved, um, people remember you, they're happy to see you, you know, they have smiles on their faces that you're back. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm just feel like, you know, okay, it might've been four years difference, but yeah, I'm here. That's awesome. And I think that's something that deserves to be talked about. I mean, we we touch on it in a lot of podcasts just because they're alumni that come back, but the robust, very active alumni community oh, here. Yeah. It's just like, I think people on the front end, you wouldn't think I'm going to go to this place to get better and then stay involved 30 years down the road. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you guys something that my favorite thing by far about the, the, the Mar Alumni Association and it, and it's, I think it's always been this way, but it's at least as from my experience, it has been, there's this idea, you know, you come to Mar and we certainly hope that people maintain continuous sobriety when they leave treatment and they get involved in 12 steps or whatever they need to get involved at, have a lifelong, um, recovery continuously. That's the goal, right? But that doesn't happen for everybody. It doesn't happen for a lot of folks. But I have seen so many men and women come back to the Alumni Association when they're struggling and be wrapped up by the people in the association and kind of loved. Mm-hmm. And I know the purpose of the Alumni Association is to keep people connected, and there's there's things they do to give back to Mar. But one of my favorite things about it is it's uh, always available. And, you know, for anybody listening, I, I just think this is one of the baselines of recovery. You know, I love it when people celebrate, and I love it when people get married and have kids and milestones in recovery. That's great. I'll clap louder than anybody but what's really inspiring to me is when someone comes and says things are not going well, the relationship ended. I maybe I did have it. Maybe I've been drinking for two weeks and I'm so ashamed. I don't know what to do. And to watch the the association and the and the people look at them with the same acceptance that they received when they maybe they came to Mar. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And um Pride and ego are just almost insurmountable things. And when you see these pictures of the Alumni Association and we're going on rafting trips or we're having these parties or there's the banquet, um, it looks like everybody's doing absolutely okay. But it was like that when I was drinking and using too. I thought everybody else was doing okay except for me. Yeah. And it's just not that way. And I love that that it's just, I don't know if you would call it an open door, it's an open arm policy. Wow. It's just, yeah. you don't have to be on top of the world to be a part. As a matter of fact, it's better for you to come when you're struggling. Um, failure is gold, right? Yes. Failure is the greatest thing you can have in recovery. Yeah. Because I'm only failing yeah. when I'm controlling it or I'm doing it. So and true. I don't think they want to see me because I drank last week or I don't want to go tell them this. And it's like that's exactly what they want to hear because they're going to be able to identify with that. Mm-hmm. Not too yeah. many people in recovery can identify with everything going exactly the way I want it. Those are like nobody has that. So that's my favorite thing about the Alumni Association. And Allison is creating that environment with the men and women um, and the leaders of the Alumni Association yeah. are creating it. And sometimes the leaders of the Alumni Association have struggles, and that's okay too. You're supposed to have struggles if you're living. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's 
That's exactly it. It's, um, you know, everyone wants everyone to be successful. And it doesn't mean that success has to look linear and, and perfect. It, you know, it's real. And um, I heard something the other day, and it was um, failure is an orphan and success has many fathers. And I loved that because it really is that open arm policy of, um, of being connected and, and, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you on the front lines, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're doing this deal. We're soldiering together. Yeah. It's the most accepting, like 12 step programs and recovery circles are the most accepting places on earth because it doesn't matter what you have done or how many times you did it. If you're willing to be in the circle with us and sit with us, you're accepted. It only takes you being willing to come. Yeah. So the Alumni Association is very much like that. If you're willing to participate, we'd be glad to have you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. And so for somebody that might know nothing about Mar and they're thinking about sending their kids, what you you guys are referencing this association. What is I know and Matt referenced white water rafting and picnics and stuff like that. What what is it exactly? Like what is the Alumni Association? Like and how might what might I expect for my loved one to be able to participate in? So the way I look at it is, um, you know, treatment is certainly effective, and and Mar does great treatment. Um, but it's really when individuals leave treatment that real life is there, and um, and oftentimes it's as if every everything stayed the same. And I'm the only one who changed. Um, and so it can be, you know, filled with a lot of triggers, a lot of um, uneasy, uncomfortable moments. And so the as soon as they leave treatment and, and um, graduate, you know, they are considered alumni. Mm-hmm. And MAR provides many opportunities for alumni to um, – enjoy time together, fellowship through uh, monthly speaker meetings mm-hmm. and um, a fall festival and whitewater rafting. And, and sometimes it's just, you know, some men or some women who uh, really formed some tight friendships in treatment getting together. But the most important part is that none of us have to do it alone mm-hmm. and, and that Mars hand is always right there. And, and grab onto it. Um, and I say all this because I've been able to experience Mar from, um, you know, the perspective of staff, a staff member, and a woman in recovery. Um, however, I, I didn't go through treatment. I went to, um, you know, 12-step meeting. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, even when I was working here several years ago, I used to, I almost kind of tried to hide that part. I didn't think that I fit in, you know, yeah. like, well, I didn't do that. And so I, I almost had, I almost found myself downplaying yeah. or feeling that shame again. Like, oh, I didn't, mm. I didn't go. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get to graduate. I didn't get yeah. my tick, ticket punched. I yeah. didn't get my <laughs> treatment right. in. Yeah. Right. And so it was back to, you know, for me, self-pity and yeah. oh, poor me. But um, something clicked, uh, and I believe it was 
talking to a staff member here at, at Mar, but a few years ago, and it was like, no, claim your seat. Mm-hmm. You know, you're here and, and you deserve to be here. Right. And I needed to hear that, that my story is my story, but the way I arrived at Mar was slightly different. And yet I'm a part of the family. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an alum. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but over and over again, that's like, this is like this tight feeling of family that yeah. people people have. It's a community. Um, and a lot of times when, when people come into treatment at MAR and they experience the community, which we think is the primary therapeutic agent of change and recovery, it's, it's the most important thing. And they experience that. And like Allison said, they go back to their, uh, to their job or, 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 or maybe they don't, you know, maybe they, maybe things are all new. Maybe they relocate or whatever. It's, it's very difficult to recreate that sense of community. It's kind of a loss and the alumni association doesn't feel it exactly, but you're with a bunch of other people who have kind of who have kind of been through it, and they provide great service to the men. There's nothing more valuable to someone in treatment than to see someone who completed the treatment that you're in, but they're choosing to come back. You know, yeah. like, yeah. I'm here because they're making me, or right. I'm in treatment because of whatever, and then this guy... He wants not, to come yeah, back. Yeah, he actually wants to come back, and then all of a sudden I maybe get a little hopeful, and it's like, man, I wonder if I could have the same experience he had. Um, this may work, and that's just invaluable. Um, and um, they're our biggest ambassadors. The proof's in the pudding, and the Alumni Association yeah. is the proof in the pudding. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one other thing worth mentioning, too, is the renewal week that a lot oh, of people yeah. don't know about that maybe or, or – or that you wouldn't you wouldn't think that a treatment center would offer that, but can you speak a little bit? I about don't know that? of any other treatment centers that do. Yeah, no, I don't. Do you want to talk about it, or do you want me? You go ahead. Yeah. You sure? Um, or do you want me to talk about it, and then you can talk about it? So yeah, because we'll I I know it. I know yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Go it's ahead. just it's just an opportunity for if someone has been sober for one year, um, they one or over a year, they're allowed to come back and and re-experience the the Mar community living. So like an alumni that left, and mm-hmm. yeah, and they uh, it, and and um and they turn in their they're on the buddy system, and for you guys who don't that means you have to turn in your you can't use a telephone, and they turn in their credit cards, and it's free. Yeah, it's yeah. free. And some people choose to do it on their anniversary of their sobriety. Yeah, some people choose to come on their whatever their anniversary is and stay for a week. And it's not to say that, you know, they all come when things are great. Yeah. They can still be in, in yeah. the the life struggles and right. challenges. And they've maintained their sobriety. Right. Um, but uh, they they do need that renewal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to go back and get back to the basics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a really special thing that I think that we do. And, and just evident, just one of the many ways that, like, like once you come here, you're like kind of a part of the family. Yeah. Know? Well, thank you guys so much for Thanks, doing this. Matt. It's been thank a- you. Yeah. yeah appreciate thank it. Thanks for listening to Stories of Recovery, a Mar Recovery Resources production. I'm Matt Shedd. The executive producer for our show is David Tate, and Angela Edmonds is the associate producer. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>